You are now listening to Raise the W, recorded at the School of Communication inside the Hickey Audio Lab on the beautiful campus of Western Michigan University. Come aboard and hear the people, stories, and impact of Western Michigan University. Here's your host, Tim Tarantine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise the W, the podcast where we talk about all things Western Michigan University, its impact, its friends, its faculty, its staff, its students, and its alum. We're all here to talk Western, and today is another great opportunity to do that. I'm so fortunate to have in studio here with us is Dr. Martha Warfield. She's the Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion for the university. She sits on the senior leadership team of the university, reports directly to the president's office, and is in charge of facilitating and engaging all the university strategies around diversity and inclusion. Dr. Warfield, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good really to good to have you. Like, we get to chat about diversity, we get to chat about inclusion, we get to talk about higher ed and how things are going. So let's dive right in. Okay. Uh, you're a Kalamazoo person. Like, you grew up in the area. Tell us about where you grew up and what your kind of neighborhood or area was like coming up as a kid in this area. Okay, you know, that's a good question because um, I grew up in Dwajak. 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 Yes. And um, my oldest sister came to Western as a freshman. The same year I went to kindergarten. Wow. Yeah, can you believe yeah. that? Wow. So from the age of five, I knew I was going to Western. <laughs> <laughs> you were punched in already. Yeah, I don't yeah. know that there was a difference between going to college and going to kindergarten. I mean, we got the same send-off. I even got a picture mm. of that day. Yeah. Tell me about that, the same send-off. It was as important to go to school as a, as a kindergartner as mm. it was to go as a Yeah, yeah. sure college student and there were four of us so you know my sister was here uh in the early uh part of the well 46 something like that yeah uh second world war was it still teacher's college at that time uh yeah i think so okay yeah uh it was an interesting time for her uh because there might have been maybe 15 or 20 students of color on campus at the time total total wow but they couldn't live on campus yeah. African-American students had to find housing in the community somewhere. Wow. So um, that was kind of the, you know, the, my introduction to going to college was living in a house with a bunch of people who all of them were going to Western, but none of them lived on the campus. Wow. And um, Taking the classes but weren't a part of the campus experience. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. Huh. So, um, and she was pretty, you know, even under those conditions, she was... was a role model, I guess that would be somebody I'd say was a mentor for me mm. because um, she she sat in, you know, sit-ins downtown in Kalamazoo. Restaurants sometimes didn't serve yeah. people of color either. So sure. she was kind of a pioneer in that respect. And um, our father was a um, social activist, you know, the yeah. NAACP president for Cass County, Southwest Michigan, that sort of thing. So we would go home and we would get, you know, the the Crisis Magazine and the Pittsburgh Courier and the wow. uh, Chicago Defender, and he, he read everything black, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we would get those kind of messages. So, you know, as a little kid, that's what I heard growing up. So wow. then um, five years later, my brother came to Western, and between the time she graduated and the time he came, things changed a little bit. He lived in the Burnhams, 
Wow. Yeah. Um, there was one frat, one sorority. Um, students had to be very confined to either be in a, a Kappa or a Delta. You couldn't be anything else. That was, else. It. That was right. it. Wow. And there might have been maybe an increase, like maybe 50. Maybe there were 50 black students at the time. <laughs> Between the time your sister started and the time and your brother he started. Said, yeah. Wow. And then let's fast forward. So they go. Yeah. And then there's four of you. So did the third yep. sibling go as well? Three years later, another sister came. <laughs> so did and I have a And was it different choice? then? Yeah, it got better. I mean, the numbers got bigger. crowd was a little more diverse. Still one frat, one sorority. Um, students lived on and off campus. Downtown, you could... You could eat in a restaurant downtown. It was okay to do that. Um, the Douglas, Douglas Community Association. I that, know a little something about it. Yeah, you've heard about that. Well, the Douglas was really the um, African-American Student Center. Students went for all their parties and events and stuff off campus. Wow. Yeah. And it was there at the Douglas. Yeah. So you have experienced Western Michigan University from, a, from when the time you were five years old where your sister was one of 15. Yep all the way to today where you oversee the university's efforts to deal with the remnants of that time. Can you believe that? Wow. When you Been look at that me. scope and scale of your relationship with this place, how how do you see Western? It's got to be mixed emotions. It's got you know, like how do you look at the university now? It's not the same place. You know, it's kind of um you know, for me, even, you know, because when I came to Western, things were even more different than they were for the, the three older sure. brother and sisters. So yeah. when I came to Western, it was um, maybe the beginning of uh, recognition that Western was a place where, where especially, I mean, the, the majority of students who were not white were African-American. I don't remember any Hispanic students. I don't remember any Asian students. No, yeah, not. Yeah. Right. So... Uh, you were either from Detroit or Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I was from Dewajak, right? So, you know, in order for me to be a social butterfly, I had to ask from the Big D, right? Everybody said, yeah, the Big D. Nobody ever got me. Nobody ever asked. <laughs> no, they never, they didn't know there was such a thing. They didn't know it was M51. It was not I-94. It wasn't even a 994. It was, you know, yeah. 43 to 51, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was, it was a good time though because um, you know what happens when it's a small group and you're um, you, you have a sense of community. Mm. Uh, you probably talk to everybody. We sure. knew everybody. A um, lot of support for each other. Um, that kind of changed when the crowd got bigger. People had more choices. They had you know things begin to take place that didn't happen when I was a student here. Sure. And then ultimately we ended up with you know a little bit more options more social organizations. Students started doing things besides social work and teaching, yeah. <laughs> which was kind sure. of the way we got steered. Um, yeah, we're still kind of segregated. I mean, I, I yeah. went over to uh, to my daughter's former school uh-huh. where she went to high school, and I had an opportunity to go into the cafeteria at lunchtime. And it startled me how, how our young people are still... S- very intentionally segregating themselves. You go in and you see, I mean, like, for all that work and all that time, the numbers have changed. We're over 25% of students here are students of, of color, people, international students make up a large number. I mean, we are a diverse university. Right. But when you look at the dynamic, 
h- how is the work of diversity and inclusion done? Be- so much of what we saw in the 40s, 50s, 60s, are, there's still remnants of those approaches today. It's not as confrontational, but we certainly haven't made it. No, but right? I think that I think that's not altogether a bad thing in some ways. Yeah. Um, because even in um, in a more diverse environment, you still have a need to identify with your affinity sure. group. You have a relationship with people of color of your own um, sense of self. To be able to be okay in a larger, more diverse community, you have to feel okay with yourself first. Yeah. Okay. Right. So what you do is you, you seek to find a balance between the two. Sure. And that still is important to students even today. That's what you see when you walk around campus, yeah. right? What, this. what is the goal of diversity and inclusion in higher education? Why is that important? It's the world. That's the way we're, you know, that's the demographic of the world. We're interdependent. We have mingled so much of our our culture anymore you can't define define and confine by culture anymore because right. we're we're really barreling and stealing and moving and interacting and becoming more and more diverse within our own selves sure you know music clothes the social environment all of those things that that people enjoy is not singularly identifiable anymore so you know that's that's part of the reason why it's important to to understand cultures. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? That means that you can admire, you um, can have differences, but you can still um, feel comfortable with people who are different than yourself. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good space to be in, especially if you if you take a look at um, how Western's made up right now, because international students are a big part of our culture now. Yeah, big part. When you look at the demographic data, mm-hmm. you spend a lot of time studying the trends in higher education, mm-hmm. particularly as it pertains to diversity and inclusion. Um, and you're constantly reminding me and others about, hey, hey, folks, look, here's where the universe is going in mm-hmm. higher education. Mm-hmm. And we ought to be prepared and doing something to make sure we're ready to receive this change in demographics that not only is already here, but certainly is a snowball at the top of a hill. Um, Can you kind of talk to us? How are the demographics shifting in higher education? And what do universities need to be aware of as those demographics shift and we deal with different realities? Well, um, you know, once upon a time, they talked about schools in, in each state were regional, and you serve the people in the community in which you live. 50 mile, maybe 100 mile raise. Yeah, right. right. <clears throat> and then um, there was a, a real shift in the way people saw going to higher ed was also going away from home, getting mm-hmm. a little bit more than 50 miles away, whatever yeah. that means to a lot of students. So um, the country itself is, is a reflection of what's going on in the economy and what happens within a state like Michigan that was really pretty industrial. Um, The economy changed, the industry went away, people go away. Right. So when we take a look at regional colleges, we're not serving the same numbers of people that live in those communities anymore. We used to, you know, even the state um, used to define our diversity based on the numbers of people. people of diverse backgrounds in our communities and if we were serving that percentage in higher education that was right. that was defined as you almost pulled the number right from the exactly. population data and just 
Put yeah, in and, and that was true here, too, because uh, in Kalamazoo County, the African-American population was like 10% for a long, 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 long time, and it was also 10% on Western campus. campus. Right. And the same thing was true in terms of the Hispanic population and so forth. Well, what's happening now is that populations are not producing at the same rate that they were. Jobs went away, and so did people. Um, things kind of flattened out. Not to, you know, in, in addition to the fact that the um, American population of 18-year-olds is not what it used to be. That's so right. it's it's diminished, and so the population for college is diminished. So what's happened, I think, um, for this country is that we've had to take a look at where are the populations of people, uh, who's going to fill the college campuses, and that makes the crowd pretty diverse because yeah. the populations that are increasing are um, what had been in the past called underrepresented people. Yeah. So we have Asian Americans, we have Hispanics of all kinds, yeah. uh, which are going to supersede in the, by 2025 the white population. You've got, in your area, just so people understand the scope, we, we help all students through the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, mm-hmm. but I, I'm always floored at how many services are under your office. So you've got support for students who uh, have different abilities and disabilities. You have yeah, well, support see, that's, for students. That, I think, is what you, know, you talk about um, what's different about Western. Yeah. I think what we tried to do was to be as close to being predictive as we could in terms of the data that we know was coming our way. So back in 2006, when we put together what became the university's diversity agenda, the DMAP. Right. The um, whole idea was to be inclusive of what are populations that are not necessarily what the normal defined college-going population has been in the past. So we looked at students by race, by culture, by gender, by age, we looked at the populations that represented students who had physical disabilities or limitations. We looked at new populations that were being identified on campus, like the LBGT populations. We looked at students who were coming in through special programs, like the mm-hmm. MLK, um, things that were designed around a specific population by virtue of the the definition the federal government gave us. You had to be low-income, yeah, first-generation, right. sure. underrepresented, all those kind of things. Yeah. Okay, so we had all of these groups that were beginning to identify on the campus as being um, part of the Western Michigan University student body, and there was actually no location on campus that was addressing the needs of those students. So that's how the Office of Diversity and Inclusion got started. Wow. That's actually, um, John Dunn is the person who um, defined that office and and gave it a face and put a person in there like me at the vice presidential uh role right. which is which is, says a lot about exactly. that level of commitment i think that really is important because is. you know across the country um you know i think the new definition of that is the chief diversity officer but yeah, you know right. you got lots of titles yeah well it's uh it's amazing what awareness western has mm-hmm. It is awe-inspiring how many services Western has supported 
to serve the needs of students who aren't of the predominant population, who do struggle, who may have different challenges to, and barriers to graduation or to success mm -hmm. in higher education. Now we're looking forward. We got a new president coming. Dr. Montgomery is on his way. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Dunn is on his way out, a champion for diversity. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for Western and, and our future on diversity? What would you what would you advise us to remember or pay attention to in this next moment uh, as it pertains to diversity and inclusion? Well, you know, uh, I might be a slightly biased, but I do think <laughs> that, that uh, a university that understands the value and values a diverse population um, is going to be an outstanding place for people to go. And I mm. say that because some schools don't reflect that. Some sure. schools still do not have that mindset about who should be there, who should get educated. And, you know, um, along with that, Tim, there's also um, some other systemic changes that have to take place. You, you change the population, you change the demographic. Um, there would be an assumption that everybody learns the same way, that, you know, you don't have to change the way you mm. teach, and the pedagogy yeah, of education right. is also has to be reflective of the students that are coming. Sure. So um, that means that we... We have to change a lot of the ways that we have taken traditional education to be managed in the past. And, and delivered. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The delivery is going to have to meet the people who are there. That's the difference. Hmm. Wow. What's the greatest or most powerful quote or person you've ever heard speak about diversity, like the about the issue? Do you, I, I'm sure you have a, a kind of mantra you live by as it pertains to this work. Yeah, I do. But, you know... Um, I can't think of all of the quotes that have always inspired me, but since I dug so deeply into education and the differences in terms of education for students of, of diverse backgrounds, and so that was kind of my major. That's the way I spent yeah. most of my college years. Right. And um, I've always looked at the differences between achievement of students across all all characteristics, and there's always this little bit of difference. You know, we talk about the gap between students, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I've always been impressed with the fact that we don't recognize the fact that the ability for people to perform is really based on the environment that they're in, not necessarily. You know, I know a lot of people sure. think it's maybe it's genetic, maybe it has Environment hasn't. drives behavior. Yeah, okay. So say. so one of the people that, that influenced me when I was, was doing those studies and trying to take a look at education and how different people learn in different kinds of ways, and I was... Um, studying effective school models, effective schools in K-12 area and who was really moving that agenda a little bit. And so this researcher named Ron Edmonds was was the guru at the time. And he yeah. was a um, person who influenced the way education was taught across the country. And so he, he, he came up with a model of effective schools that basically said that, you know, people are looking for a safe place to go. They're looking for some place that understands their students. And, you know, he had yeah. seven or eight tenants about that. But Ron's um, quote is one that I like to use all the time because I tell students, I got a big note on my on my door right now here at Western. It says, we already know all that we need to know for everybody to be successful. Mm. The question is whether or not we have the will to make it happen. Wow. I think we ought to shut it right there, because that is the question. That is the question. And I would hope that in your lifetime, since you've seen it from your oldest sister's perspective to today, that you're holding out for hope that Western does have the will 
to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jesse Jackson, up with hope. Up with hope. <laughs> I love it. Dr. Warfield, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for being a change agent on this campus for so many years. It's been an amazing thing for me to be a mentee of yours and learn from you and for our community, our university community, to benefit from your, your work. Thank you. Thank you, too. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hear more about Dr. Martha Warfield, her work in the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, go to mywmu.com slash raise the W. That's mywmu.com slash raise the W. You can learn about Martha, her work, and get links to all of the important work going on with students to make sure that they're successful in a diverse and inclusive environment. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks for taking time to listen. And if you're out and about today talking to somebody, you see somebody that you love, take a moment and raise the W.